Well, let's open in prayer. God, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you that we stand on a road that um, is faithful and faithful going forward, and we can look back and see where it's been faithful of old, even as we think of uh, the martyrs going before the lions in the song we just sang, and we study with the Westminster standards, the divines, the, the men that studied the divine things, the, the, the degrees of divinity, and how they worked hard to understand scripture and to work through theological issues. May we learn from them, and may we always uh, hold them to the standard of scripture. Scripture, your word, is the ultimate authority for word and life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, uh, we are on Westminster uh, Larger Catechism 61 through 65, and I thought I would quickly read each of them so you know the broad brush of what we are talking about. Question 61, are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? What's your quick answer? Are all those saved who hear the gospel? What about all those that are in church? What is the visible church? Anybody have an answer? What is the invisible church? What are the privileges of the visible church? It's what, what are, what's the, it's like privileges of being in a household, the privileges of being in the organization. And what um, is the invisible church and what special benefits do members of the invisible church enjoy? Visible church, invisible church, privileges of visible church and special privileges of invisible church basically in modern language. So those are some of the things we're discussing. And why I say it's so practical is because the secret decrees are what's re known to God. He doesn't reveal everything to us. So how we interact with one another, um, um, it's important because we don't know. You don't know if my name is written in the book of life, right? Um, but we all live together. It also begs the question on, well, I'll even go uh, back farther. Um, most arguments, theologically, most arguments in the church have to do with dictionary definitions. And certainly as a society, if we can't, as a church, and culture is religion is, um, uh, culture is religion externalized, as I think Van Til said, somebody said it anyway, um, it wasn't me first, um, but it's right. So if we can't figure out dictionary definitions here, how do, we, how do we expect society as a whole to know what the definition of a boy or girl is, right? You can ask a two-year-old and they know what the definition of a boy or, or girl, girl is, right? But yet, dictionary definitions do change. If you're two years old, you have a dictionary definition or an understanding of word is, and when you're 12 or 22 or 32 or 62 or 82, it becomes a little bit more complex, but they're still simple, right? They're still the same definition that a two-year-old would understand, but it gets more complicated because we've read the Proverbs. We have a little bit of wisdom or a little bit of understanding. Go ahead, Ethan. You can sit on this side since nobody's here. All right, then I'll just go right here. Um, thanks for coming. So dictionary definitions. Um, 
I'll give you some, um, I'll give you some definitions, and then we can use that as a starting starting block. Um, and what you what you read about in the Bible is that Paul, Peter, John lays out theology, lays out dictionary definitions of how we understand these theology, and they take oftentimes Old Testament stories, Old Testament realities. They're quoting the Old Testament. That's why the New Testament is somewhat of a commentary in the Old Testament, because they take these truths and then they apply it to the church or to the saints that they're communicating with. If you're, reading the if you're following the Bible reading challenge, on Saturday you probably read Jude, and Jude lays this out completely. And it's just short, you know, one chapter, but it lays out um, what we're kind of talking about today. But dictionary definitions. All right, what is God? You know, I, I, six month old says, um, who made you, right? God made me. What else did God make? All things. So it's not even a two-year-old, right? That's a six-month or a one-year-old. But now role-play it to society today, and you're um, 40 years old or 30 years old, and you're in the work marketplace, and you're talking about, do you believe in God? It's a reasonable question to ask somebody, right? Do you believe in God? Your definition of what God, when you ask that question, could be entirely different if they say, yeah, I believe in God. Right? Is it the same dictionary definition? Is, is he saying, well, you have your God, I have my God. Is he, is he a clockmaker God or a deist God? Is he, the, is, he the, is he believing in the triune God? I mean, a simple thing like God, right? You can have dictionary definitions that are across one another. So when I, when I read to you church, vis, invisible church, um, all those definitions, What's a two-year-old definition of church? Do they, do they think of visible and invisible? Not a chance. Do when we get older, we have a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more understanding, um, and we understand that a tree is known by its fruit, right? Do, do we have a greater understanding of what the definition of a church is? What about historically, right? We read the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. I, say, I said in my prayer that we want to be faithful to the, to the, in the same road as the faithful men of old and going forward. Do you know that at times in our country's history and in the world's history, if you weren't buried in the church cemetery, you weren't considered a Christian? You are buried in the public cemetery, right? Um, and that's changed the further west you go as time went on, but buried in a church cemetery. If you were a member of a church, you were considered Christian, right? And now we have excommunicated and communicated members, right? Why do we fence the table at our church? Right? What is the definition of a Christian? I remember when I used to travel abroad as a, as a, as a college kid, they would say, oh, that's the Christian section over there. That's the Muslim section over there. I go, wow, these are all Christians. These are my people. And you go over there and you go, I don't think they're all Christians, right? Or in modern society, right? Um, Broadbrush evangelical. How many times do we hear, oh, I didn't think that person was a Christian. They're not really a Christian, right? No, they're not a Christian. Um, and we, we're condemning them to hell, right? They're not a Christian. How do you know they're not a Christian, right? So we have all these definitions of what a Christian is. And they're historical as well as we oftentimes judge somebody. And it's funny because Broadbrush evangelical will say, oh, I can't judge their sin, but I can judge if they're in heaven or hell. And that's just upside down, right? You can't say if they're in heaven or hell, but you can say repent from your sin. 
because the sin is right before them, right? But when you listen to broad brush evangelicals, that's oftentimes the rhetoric that, that is used. So what's the definition of a covenant? Right, does that play into church, visible church, invisible church? Covenant's not even talked about so much, except it is in our circles, but most of the time, in, even in Reformed churches or Reformed Baptist churches, um, what, what, is, what, what trumps covenant? Election. Are they elect or not? Well, that has to do with invisible, invisible church, right? Who's, who's elect? Who's really in the, written the name book of life and who's not? And do we all believe that God um, predestines and ordains those who are elect? Yeah, absolutely. But we don't know. So how does that play into when you're raising a child? How, how does that concept play into if, you, if you're adopted? How does that con concept play into when you're counseling, when a, when a pastor or an elder is counseling somebody? How do you know? How do you treat them? So at the start of our, our, our service, what do we do at the start of the service? We call all men everywhere to come worship the triune God, right? What does that mean? They have to recognize there's a God, and they have to know that they're not God, and they're worshiping God, and they have to be able to be repentant, right? Why do we confess our sins right away as soon as we're called into, called into God's presence? Because we wash our feet. We want to make sure we're clean, right? We want to make sure that we're in the right position to, to worship God. So election, covenant, our, our church believes in election, but we're also covenant driven in our theology. And that's because that's how we relate to, to one another. Um, what about even things, this is a bit of an aside on topic, but oh, I belong to a Presbyterian church or we're Presbyterian. What's the definition of a Presbyterian? Technically it could be church government. Because you got dispensational Presbyterians that started Dallas Theological Seminary. You got um, all sorts of Presbyterians, but Presbyterians are a form of church government. Congregational is a form of church government. Episcopalians a form of church government. So just saying a, a word, you know, it means your definition. And as much as I'm making fun of my definition, my God, your God, but there is something to that. And that's why I don't like saying I'm a Calvinist. I don't like saying I'm a Reformed. Because if I say I'm a Calvinist to a lot of my Baptist friends, they think a totally different, different definition because they haven't even read Calvin. They might have read a Cliff Note version of Calvin or somebody told them what Calvin is. So I don't, I don't like using any of those terms because we're not on the same category of what, um, of what Calvin said. Even you can read the same book. How many people have read the same book? Say you've all read the Institutes and say, well, I, I thought it said this. I thought it said this. I mean, we as men's group, we get together and we, we read through a book and most of the time we're saying what they're saying and sometimes, well, I don't know, C.S. Lewis saying this, was C.S. Lewis saying that? Um, it, but we're seeking to understand what he did say. So oftentimes I don't lead with those categories because we all have different dictionary definitions. And again, we're still on subject. This is still Westminster Large Confession, 61 through 65. Hopefully I can bring it around. Adoption, you know, that's what we're talking about basically, who God adopts and who God doesn't adopt. And so we'll read the, well maybe we should just read that now. This is um, from the Confessions. I'll read adoption. This is, um, 12 in the Westminster Confession. 
All those that are justified, God vouches in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number, what's the book of life, and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name put upon them. That means it's, you know, we're called Christians. We are the name of Christ, but now all Christians are Christians. That's another, in the, Old, in the New Testament, to go backwards, how many times is Christian in the, in the Bible, the word Christian? You're right, two times. What, was it a pejorative or complimentary? It was pejorative. It's those people over there. Does that mean all those people over there? The name is written in the book of life. We don't know that. Well, read, read, the, read the epistles. And I said, you got to know the stories. And they're, they're making the definitions. But when, when Paul writes to the, the saints in Corinth, one of the most messed up churches you can possibly imagine, going back further, if somebody says they want to be a first, uh, a first generation Christian, oh, it would be great to be in, you know first generation Christian. That's what we really want. No, you don't. That was really messed up times back then, right? But Paul calls them saints, right? It, and it's like, saints? Those guys are really messed up. If you think we're really messed up, they're really messed up. But we're just as messed up. We all need Jesus. That's why we come here and have our covenantal renewal service, and we call them in everywhere to repent. So they have his name put upon them. We call ourselves Christian. Receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness. That's how we pray all the time in the name of Jesus. Are enabled, by the way, when we do pray, we pray into God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, right? That's how we have access to the Father because we pray in the name of Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus in Jesus' name. We pray to the Father in Jesus. Uh, we have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, because he is our God. Are pitied protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, right? So that's a lesson for us as fathers, too. What are our duties as a father? We look to the father and how, you know, because when we have children or adopt children, we are the father, right? And we need to make sure we're pitying them because they're in a lowly estate. I mean, you got to Pity is not necessarily a pejorative word, but when you have a baby that's totally helpless, you pity the baby and you take care of the baby. You love the baby, you nurture the baby, you train the baby, you protect them, you provide for them, and you chasten them or correct them or discipline them as a father would. You never cast them off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises. Yep, that means he's, we're sealed. Um, uh, we, we persevere or we're preserved, right? And we do, we're preserved by God because he's not going to let anybody in his hand get out, but we also persevere and inherit the promises. And how are all promises inherited? How are all promises believed? By faith, right? And who gives us the faith? Do we have the faith ourselves? If we had our faith ourselves... Then, then we're earning something. We, we contribute something to it. We contribute nothing to this. Nothing to this. And, and, and we speak of adoption, and there is adoption. Um, uh, Justin and Morgan are adopting a baby. Uh, Joshua is adopted. We speak of adoption, but all of us 
had no choice of being born. We didn't have a cho- did Adam have a choice of being born? Not at all. So the, the original covenant is, I will be your God, you will be my people. Did Adam have a choice? Right? No. Didn't have a choice. We're all adopted by God. We're all adopted. I'm tossed into my family, my mom and dad. I, I, I bear their image. I can tell, as I've told you many times, I might not know every little kid, but I can tell you who goes with who because because you look like each other. You bear the image. So we inherit those promises of everlasting salvation. That's adoption, right? And, and just as an aside, it's always bugged me uh, when I hear stories of Christians adopting kids and then they reject them later, right? It's just, it's just wrong because God, um, God doesn't reject us. So... Gospel. What is gospel? I'm back on definitions and we're still on the same subject. What's gospel? Children, youngest child, what does gospel mean? Good news, right? Gospel means good news. What does it literally mean? What two words, there's a German expression for it, when two words are kind of compiled together. Jeremiah, do you know what that is? Germans are famous for putting two things and schmicking yeah, that's funny. It's just a word. But what does gospel mean? Good spell. Good spell, right? Um, Godspeed. And so good spell is that God can put a good spell on a bad thing. He can change things. It's his magic, right? It's good magic, not evil magic. Um, so you have gospel. And so when I'm witnessing, when I'm doing evangelism, I start not with any of these definitions, and I'm not saying that I do it perfectly or right or anything like that, but I don't start with, um, are you a Christian? I don't start with um, all sorts of stuff. Sometimes I say, oh, do you go to church, right? And how many of Broadbrush Evangelicals are members of a church? No, they go to churches, right? they would be considered not Christians 200 years ago because they're not part of a family, right? So I start with either Adam, right? Or I start with Moses. And Exodus 20, and we'll read that for the call to confession today. Some of this, when you're preparing for Sunday school and you're doing the order of worship, you kind of, you want things to flow, so you'll, there might be some redundancy. Exodus 20, and God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord, what's the next word? Your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What is Egypt to the people of Israel? Slavery. What's our, what's, what's, what are we enslaved of? Yes? Sin, right. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, our sin right? He's the only person that can, that can do that. Now, if we say, well, you know, I, I didn't decide that. That's him saying he decided that. Right. Right. We contribute nothing to it. If we decide to follow Jesus, and we do, it's after God quickens our hearts and gives us the faith to follow Jesus, right? So I start with that. God is God. You are not. God created the heavens and the world. He is the God that saves, right? And then what happens after Exodus 
after, after that verse, that what happens next in Exodus 20? It tells us how we should live, right? What parent or child that has never had, a, had children doesn't instruct their children on how they should live, right? If I was born to the Schwartz, most, most of you know Yost Nixon. He always picks on Schwartz as his hypothetical family. For, for a long time, he would say the Schwartz family. Like, I don't know anybody Schwartz. And now I use the same thing. The Schwartz family. If I was born into the Schwartz family, do you think I'd turn out exactly the way that I did? Probably not. I have my parents written all over me. Good and bad, right? And we as parents, we put good and bad into our children. Hopefully they remember the good, they don't remember the bad, but we're image bearers of that. And so God, in his loving kindness, tells us how we should live, right? And those are that's the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Then much of scripture expands on that, expands on that. Um, uh, Genesis 37, what's it talking about? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Last night in, 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 our, um, in our Sabbath, Grinbergs were over and I quizzed my grandchildren on Genesis 37. And I started it by saying, um, and I'll say this again today, um, sins are like grapes because they come in bunches. You can't just break one of the Ten Commandments without breaking all of them. Or, or another one, I shouldn't say all of them, with other ones. Ultimately, you're always breaking the first four because you're not obeying, you're not obeying God. Every time we sin, what do we do? God is God and I am, because I know what's best, right? And those those Ten Commandments are bearing God's image. That's who He is. These aren't just laws that He tells you, right? No different than a parent when they say, "Don't put your hand on the burner," right? Is that law or is that grace? Yes, is the answer. It's law and grace. That's exactly right. All right, so God makes this covenant with Adam, right? I will be your God and you will be my person, my people, right? Was sin entered at that point? No, no. There was no sin when, God, when Adam was created. Did God give him instructions? Did he tell him how he should live in this world that God created him? Yeah. So again, when I'm doing evangelism or talking to somebody, when I say evangelism, I'm not on the street corner, it's who I bump into at work, it's, it's where I am. But that's why I start with Exodus, because we today have a, have a sense of feeling of our guilt, although that's going away quickly. I mean, people now have sinned so much, they've hardened their hearts so much, they want to defend their, their, their guilt. They don't, they don't see that they've had guilt, but most of us have guilt. Um, and so Adam, did sin, and then God says, you'll surely die. What's the definition of dying? I remember as a kid reading that, he didn't die. He didn't die. Two-year-old definition, right? Maybe six years old or whatever when, when I read it, but did, did Adam die? What's the definition of death? What's our definition of death? A biblical Christian definition of death. When Jesus died, what happened? Was it the pain and the suffering? And I never saw the passion of Christ. Um, you know, it, it, it accentuated and, and probably realistically 
what it was like to be crucified. But what was the most painful thing that Jesus went through? What was his death? Separation from God. Separation from his maker, right? That's ultimate death. And what did, what's going to be fixed at the end of days? End of days, no more death. Because that's when we'll be with God in heaven, right? What did Jesus conquer at the cross? Sin. Most Christians get it opposite. We think, he, I mean, Jesus did conquer death, but death is the last, right? That's down the road. But he conquered sin. So why do we keep struggling with sin? Because we keep struggling with sin, right? On any given day, you'd look at my household or me or any one of you guys any given day, look at King David, a man after God's own heart. I mean, I remember David, David was your you know, children's Bible stories. David's this great guy. And then all of a sudden I read, oh, you know, that's not so good. That's not so good. Or, or most of the, the people. Sometimes I remember reading the first time um, the Hall of Fame chapter, um, 11, 11th chapter of Hebrews, right? And I go, ooh, they made the Hall of Fame? I mean, <laughs> they're a piece of work. So on any given day, that's all of us, right? That's all of us. But God set his love on us, and he's told us how we should live. And so we believe all promises by faith, right? And what has God promised to us? An inheritance. What's the inheritance that he's promised to us? Union and communion with him, right? That's why marriages should have union and communion. That's why there should be union and communion in a household. It should be known by peace and joy and gladness. Um, in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, um, it, it, God punishes the people because even though they were obeying, they weren't obeying with joy and gladness. Obey me with joy and gladness. Think of the, I remember as a kid reading the story of um, the prodigal son. That was how it was told to me. It's not a story of the prodigal son. What's it a story of? The merciful father. The merciful father. And I took pride that I'm that firstborn son, right? Because nobody ever talked about the firstborn son. You know, he was the obedient one doing this, this, and this, right? And it was that other guy that was really the bad guy. But they were both messed up, right? It messes with your definitions. And so when we think that we're wise, we might fall, right? Think of King David, can look over everything and not doing the right thing, going into battle and Bathsheba and all that stuff. And one sin leads to another sin, right? Because sins are like grapes. They come in bunches. That's right. But God's promised, promised us the land. Israel had a little piece of property, right? What promise do we have? What's our land? The whole world, right? We're to take the gospel to the ends, every nation, tongue, and tribe, right? You have to be wise on how we evangelize. We have to be even wise on how we think of somebody. I remember as a kid growing up Lutheran, and Roman Catholics were next door. And what was I told about those Roman Catholics? They're not Christian. Catholic means Christian. They're not Christian. They go to church every Sunday. They, I, I, I couldn't understand. Well, they don't believe the way we believe. Right? So why do we do the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed every Lord's Day? And the Athanasian Creed twice, twice a year. Why do we do that? That's because that is the good news. That's the gospel. That's summarized ancient. Did everybody always agree on all those things? Do people agree? Everybody that recites those around the world, do you think we agree with all the Coptic Christians in Egypt? I've met Coptic Christians. I go, ooh. But think how they've been faithful living in Egypt for all these centuries. 
they go back to the first church. And they can track, they can track generation by generation to Christianity, and they suffer. Now, we, might, we don't agree with them on all that, but we agree on the Apostles' Creed. Greek Orthodox, there's one exception word on the Nicene Creed, but they, they say the Nicene Creed every Lord's Day. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we take the communion, right, we commune with one another, we look around and go, oh, yeah, we're brothers and sisters, right? Just as much as, and I'm going to say this, too, at the call to confession, but just as much as I say sins are like grapes, they come in bunches, right? Daniel Rolf said this when he was here several times. I'm really looking forward to him coming. You should look at the announcements because he's going to be here in, in January, too. But we're, we're not a bunch of grapes, or excuse me, we're not a bunch of marbles in a bag. What are we? We're a bunch of grapes connected to each other. And if we're connected to each other here, we're connected to Christians all around the world as grapes. So you think your sin is independent? No, your sin's not independent. Was David's sin independent? Is my sin as head of household or as a husband of my wife independent? No, it affects the whole family. It affects our family. It affects the church. It affects the broader church. It affects the whole invisible church and visible church, right? Because we as saints are more like grapes. So what God delivers us, the good news, is he frees us from our sins, right? In the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice for sin, right? Aren't we thankful we don't live in the Old Testament? We live now, right? We have forgiveness of sins. We don't have the sacrificial system because we have the one-time sacrifice, and who is that, children? Jesus. That's exactly right. All right, we finished page one. And I think I'm doing okay on time. All right. Um, as an aside, this is a parent-children deal, little stories. Um, when your children want something, want something before the time that they're supposed to have it, what do you say? Don't say that's not good. Don't say that's not good, right? Say that's very good. Someday that can be yours, right? But not today because you're not ready for it. It hasn't been given to you yet. God told, told us, gave us instructions. But it's so easy for parents to say, oh, no, that's not good. So be careful about all, all, all as you're raising kids that we don't say something is good or bad or Christian or not Christian, um, have wisdom in how we're communicating to our kids. Oh boy. Um, second page is always messier than the first. Who, who does the world want? Everybody knows they need a savior. This is apologetics. Everybody knows they need a savior. Who, who's the ultimate savior for non-Christians today? The beast, the government, right? Right, three forms of government. And where Christians abdicate their duties, the beast is willing and able to take over. The beast is, is the word in scripture for government, right? And they become a beast. Um, they want to rule over everything. And who are we slaves to? If, if the government is, is your savior, who are most of the people who, who, who want the government to help them in everything, give them land, provide, protect for them, right? Everything. They're slaves of the government. They're slaves of the government. But what are we to God? Are we slaves to God? 
we're bond servants. We willingly give ourselves, right, to God. But he tells us to live as free men. Free men. What does being free mean? Right? We're no longer slaves. We're no longer committed to sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're free that we can obey scripture. We can obey God's words. Right? And so in Exodus 20, or in Adam, I will be your God. Here's how you should live. And he gives Adam instructions on how they should live. You know, work is pre-fall. Work is a good thing, men and women and children. Um, and then he instructs in Moses to tell his people how they should live. And we live that way because we're free, not because we're enslaved. Um, as in another aside, um, it, this is very true in our circles, and you might have heard me say it before, but don't impose self-imposed glass ceilings on your children. I had self-imposed glass ceilings on me, by my parents, by my grandparents. Don't impose uh, glass ceilings. A glass ceiling is you can only go up so far, and then there's a glass. It looks like you can go further, but there's a glass that prevents you from going up any further. Your children of the king, act like it. Take dominion, rule. Based on the abilities that God's given to you, rule, lead, honor, respect, work hard. Don't say, I can only go so far, right? Have your kids know the sky is the limit. And I don't mean to have that in a silly psychological, you know, Disney-type moment at all. I mean you're working for the king. He's given you gifts. He's given you skill sets. Work hard at it. Is a... Is a as an old guy that played sports and, and coached, coached sports most of my life, people um, have sometimes had great God-given ability. And other people had great work ethic and no ability. But you combine those two, and you can do powerful things. Powerful things. Don't waste your time either. I mean, work hard. God gives us 24 hours in a day. Use them. Use them. Um, so don't have um, self-imposed glass ceilings, just as an aside. Okay, now, re review. How are, how are all promises to be believed? How are all promises to be believed? We, we said it at the beginning. By faith. Right? All promises are believed by faith. God gives us the faith. So it didn't take a lot of faith for Adam to believe, Right? But pretty soon, he wanted to be God, right? And he didn't do what God told him to do. Just like we as children, just like we as adults, right? Mom and dad tell us to do something. Five minutes later, we, we don't do it. And then forgetting to do it is just as much of a sin, and that needs to be repented of too. But how, as adults, we're the, same, we're the same way. We need to read the Bible, know the stories of the Bible, right? Is adoption subjective or objective? Is Christian objective or subjective? Is church objective or subjective? Those are my words. Those aren't the divine words, right? And they're difficult things to know. Is an apple tree subjective or, ap or subjective or objective, right? If it's bearing much fruit or olive tree, I'll pick on an olive tree because that's that's what the that's what the New Testament uses. If an olive tree isn't producing olives, what happens to it in the Bible? Gone, right? It's gone. Because olive trees are supposed to do what? Bear olives, right? 
What are we as a people to do? What was Adam's first instruction to Adam? Be fruitful and multiply, right? We are fruitful bearing people. It is a travesty that um, Christians today, birth rate is declining the way it is. Nick said, well, I, I don't know, Christians, we're, we're having lots of babies here, right? We are, but Christians in general, we don't know whose name's written in the book of life, and even somewhat faithful Christians that we know are not having babies. They're not being fruitful. Christians are to be fruitful, right? Track fruitfulness in the Bible. It's people that don't believe in God that aren't fruitful. We're to be fruitful. And that implies your labors too, which is why I went off on that glass ceiling tangent. Be fruitful, be fruitful. Um, at our church, um, we've talked about this many times, there's a baptism, but we baptize children into the covenant, right? Just no different than God makes a covenant with Adam. God makes a covenant with the people of um, the, the cross the Red Sea, right? And that was their baptism. Either Paul or Peter says it somewhere in the New Testament that Paul or Peter calls the baptism of the Red Sea. All those men, women, and children were baptized in the Red Sea, right? We baptize into the covenant. Did all the first generation of Israel, that in, are they in heaven? We actually know this. They're not because they died in the desert unregenerate. Were they, did they put the blood on the doorpost? Yeah, right? Did they go through the Red Sea? Yeah. And so were they saved? Well, I mean, it messes with your definitions. I'm saying don't act like a two-year-old. Were they saved? Yeah, they were saved from Egypt, saved from slavery, saved through the Red Sea. The Egyptians were immersed. They're the ones that drowned, right? Other ones walked through. They were saved. But were they eternal decree? Were they elect? Not that generation, right? So we baptize people into the covenant, and we say, you are a child of God. Believe it. And how are those promises believed? Be louder. By faith, right? And who gives the faith? God gives the faith. So when you're dealing with each other, when you're dealing with each other, you must remind each other to believe the promises of God. You must not send somebody to heaven or hell, think about them in that way, call all men everywhere to repent, and set a good example. All right, let's go back and read then 61 through 65. Are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? Answer, all that hear the gospel and live in the visible church are not saved. Doesn't mean some are saved. All are not saved, right? You've got to follow it carefully. And you, we got that answer correctly. But who is saved? Only those that are true members of the church visible. Do we know with all certainty who is a member of the true church? No. You know a tree by its fruit, right? So when David killed Goliath, had faith in God, good fruit, right? When David um, lusts after Bathsheba, kills Uriah, pretty stinky fruit or no fruit, right? What is the visible church? The visible church is a society, a people group, made up of all such, believers, non-believers, all such, in all ages and places of all over the world that profess the true religion, 
and of their children, right? So they make a profession, right? It includes everybody. What is the special privileges of the visible church? The visible church hath the privilege of being under God's special care and government, if you're a member of the church, right? Of being protected, preserved in all ages, notwithstanding the opposition of all enemies, and of enjoying the communion of the saints, ordinary means of salvation, and offers of grace. They have offers of grace every Lord's Day, offers of grace to be members of it in the ministry of the gospel, testifying that whoever believes in him shall be saved, and excluding none that won't come to him, or that would, would come to him, right? That's the visible church. So when you're driving down the street and you see a church that says, all are welcome here, right? I'd love to put that on our church, all are welcome here, right? They're welcome to come, but then we'd excommunicate them if they weren't repentant, if they were in their sin. All are welcome here, right? Are we, bounce keep, are we bouncers at our church, right? Well, we're not gatekeepers, we're bouncers. We, we, we let everybody in and then we bounce them and we're always looking for wolves, right? Because our job as shepherds are to protect the flock. But those churches, we go, oh, they're not, they're not a real church, they're not a Christian church, they're, they're not Bible-believing. Well, you can, you can say some of those things, but you can't send them to hell or heaven. But to a two-year-old, are they a church? Yeah, churches, you know, building a little steeple. It's funny because nowadays churches, for the modern-day churches, are office complexes or shopping malls. Um, but that's the visible church. All right, what is the invisible church? The invisible church is the whole number of the elect. Do we know who's elect and not elect? No, but that's the invisible church, the whole number of the elect. If you're just in the visible church, does that visible church that is homosexual pastor, transgender, all that stuff, are they a church? Yeah, they're a church. We're the people in Revelation that you know, God, God put out their light. Were they a church? Yeah, they were a church. They were an unfaithful church. Who do we trust that will take care of his church? God will take care of his church. God will take care of his church. The invisible church is the a whole number of the elect that has been, that have been, or are gathered in, in and under one head, which is Christ. What are the special benefits to the number of the invisible church enjoy? The members of the invisible church by Christ enjoy union and communion with him in grace and glory. Are there, are there benefits to being in the visible church? Yeah, we enjoy those benefits. Are there be benefits to the people who aren't elect to be part of the visible church? Yeah, but they don't have union and communion with Christ. They get some benefits, but not the benefits of union and communion with Christ. When people come over to our house, as, you know, children, little children, we're raising our kids, they come over to our house, you know, they have the benefits of being in our house. But they don't have the same benefits as my four children did, right? But there's some benefits. There are benefits. But who's going to get the greater judgment, the person in Africa that's never heard of the gospel or the person that lived under the benefits of the visible church, faithful or unfaithful, and, and never heard the call of the gospel. Right? Judgment is always going to be more severe for the household of the Lord. What is union? What is that union which the elect have with... Oh, that's 66 I went on. What special benefits... Do the members of the invisible church enjoy by Christ? The members of the invisible church by Christ enjoy union, communion with him and grace and glory. I just said that. So that's the lesson.
The lesson is there's make it practical. Make it practical on how you treat one another, how you live together. Think of yourselves as a collection of grapes, not a bag of marbles, right? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the time we had today in Sunday school. Bless our worship service to you. May every moment of every day, may we um, enjoy our union and communion with you, and may we be repentant and always trying to be conforming into a better image bearers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.